Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. So glad y'all are here. And uh, I've got a number of folks visiting with us, uh, family uh, of the Montana mission team that we'll hear from in just a few minutes. So welcome. And some of our teammates from over at Calvary Way on that trip. Glad to have y'all. We've got some other first-time guests. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist, we've been captivated by Christ through the gospel. We have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says. We've seen God's beauty in His grace given to us freely through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. And He's captivated us. And we pray that today you would see that beauty through all that takes place in this hour and that your heart would be captivated by Him as well. I want to give a quick thank you to our Foreign Missions Committee, Tim Brooks, Frank Miller, Joe Hensley, Mary Abernathy, and Roger Putnam. They've been hard at work of late, and in the conference that will follow this service, we'll be, they'll be bringing several recommendations for uh, an expanding mission support from this church, and we appreciate uh, their work. Just give them a round of applause for their service as they, we seek to get the gospel to the nations. I'm going to ask you to stand and find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself, and then I'll bring us back together in just a moment. Montana Mission Team, you are next. your way back to your seats and Montana mission team just make your way on up this way please if you were on the Montana mission trip come on up to the to the stage here now since you're close I'm gonna give you this real quick you'll you can go first in just a second so uh, a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago, uh, a group of us, there were a, it was an associational mission trip out to Browning, Montana, where we served on the Blackfoot Nation reservation there and uh, working with a couple of local churches that have been serving in that area for a number of years. And so association-wide, I think there were five churches represented, uh, 27 of us, I believe. And uh, of that group, we had 11 from East Ella J. There were two, four, five from Calvary Way. A couple of our friends were able to be with us this morning. 
And so we just wanted to come give you a quick update. We, we weren't able to do it immediately, and so it's been a couple weeks, but I want to give opportunity for them to share and for you to hear uh, as you were praying and, and supporting us and going what God did. So it's ready? You're on. Well, <laughs> that trip was my first mission trip ever. Uh, I had a, enjoyed it a lot. I, the only time I really got to, to speak with the, the people that we, we went to, to visit with and, and pray with was in the evening time because I spent most of my days cooking. Amen. <laughs> and hopefully I kept everybody happy with the food. Uh, but I did, I did have time to, to talk to several of the people in, from the, the Native Americans. Uh, I got to know one of the gentlemen real well. He was an ex-military person, just like me. Uh, I did pray with him one time. Uh, and I guess I bonded with him and... That was something I enjoyed doing. Amen. Uh, and I will go back, and if you ever get the opportunity to go out there, you will enjoy yourself. It was a beautiful country. Real, real great people to get to know. Amen. And Al did a great job cooking, absolutely. We did not lose weight on this mission trip. Well, it was an honor to go on this mission trip. Um, I think one of the hardest things for us on this journey was being able to get out there. <laughs> we, uh, we had a hard time getting out there, had some confusion, but it was such a pleasure to be able to go with these folks because they had leadership and uh, they made sure all of our kids got where they needed to go. And when we eventually got up there and got to work, um, you know, some of y'all have been on mission trips before where it's only the work being done. And I've been on those too. We're gonna go and we're gonna do some disaster relief. Or we're going to go and we're going to do, you know, some cleanup around a trailer or something. We're going to go mow some grass. We got to do all of that stuff. We got to do that plus a lot of ministry. I'm talking hands-on ministry. We, we got to cut the grass and we painted a whole church. We painted a, a pastorium, chip paint off of it, three sheds. And, but then we also got to hold services in two different churches. And one church had been closed down. It's been closed for three years. And uh, we got to pray with people as they came in. We got to see hungry kids get fed. We got to be a part of that. We also got to be a part of um, seeing some folks get baptized, come to know the Lord in a powerful way. And uh, I think throughout the week we grew together as a group. And it, it was a beautiful thing getting to see the association of churches from Fannin and Gilmer and all across come together as one team and be used by God in a powerful way. And uh, so I'm just thankful to have been able to go and thankful for all that God did. Um, I think one of the biggest takeaways from this trip was that we got to see the church truly be the church. And what I mean by that is that um, every day there's children who go to one of those churches just for lunch. They show up and they're ready to be fed physically. And so uh, the love of Christ that those two missionaries are showing that community was just incredible. Um, it's just you hear about a different culture and you hear about cultural pride and things like that. But we saw it firsthand and we saw people proud of where they were and what they had, but to the point where they didn't always want help. And so to actually see them be able to feed the children every day and 
to make those connections, it was really touching. But it was just a, a blessing to go, and I think everyone's ready to go back next year. <laughs> My name's Kyle. Um, the Lord is true and faithful. So some of the choices uh, for how we served, uh, you heard um, Trey say, is uh, painting which is an absolute nightmare for me. I hate it for Amen. the core of my being. So fortunately, God was uh, gracious, and Al needed a good sous chef, so I got to do that instead and help cook for people, which is what I enjoy and love. Um, and painting, I was just like, whoa. I said, I'll do it, Lord. But <laughs> um, And I guess one of the most impactful uh, a couple of impactful things for me is um, listen to one lady talk and just how pervasive um, the the culture is in trying to influence the church. Of uh, you know, um, we had some band problems one day, and and a lady said something about you know she was praying to her grandfather to uh, you know uh, help help with the van and stuff, and Stacy said. Oh, no, lady, we call that Jesus um, that we're praying to. So um, just how much they're really trying to hold on to their ancestry and, and reach and, and stay in that culture and things, and then they forget about um, Jesus and who God truly is. And even, I think, some that have professed to be Christians kind of wander back to that, uh, and, and that's a hard thing to get over. And then the second, um, I'd ask you to continue to pray for a young guy, 21 years old, named Keithan. He just comes busting through the door one day at noon at lunch as we were delivering lunch. Um, he said, I need somebody to pray with me. He said, I'm scared to death. He um, had just gotten beaten up, ended up in the hospital, and they told him he had cancer. And he was terrified. Um, so we got to witness to him and share the gospel with him for about an hour, gave him a Bible uh, and those kind of things. He said he would come back, but he never came came back. But uh, we know God's word doesn't go out and return void. So I just uh, continue to pray for him that uh, God will continue to shake his world until he finds Amen. him. That's right. So this is my first missions trip. So honestly, I had no idea what to expect. But it was, it was an amazing trip, and it was just such an eye-opening experience seeing how they live there and just everything that they're going through, but yet they're still faithful. And all of the families at the church and all the ladies that were just, they were so sweet to us and everything, just accepting us in. So it just made me even more grateful for everything that I have back home and just seeing all that. So, yeah, it was a great week. This was my first mission trip as well. Um, I really enjoy getting to go and seeing all these people and how they live and stuff. It made me realize how grateful and thankful I should be for what I have and where I live and like clothes that I have because what they had was not anything compared to what we have. Um, the kids really stood out to me because they had a heart for wanting to know who Jesus is and who he was, well, who he is. and. Um, what he has to offer for them. And it was just an amazing experience to get to share the love of Jesus with these kids. It was also my first mission trip, but it definitely will not be my last. Um, like they said, like the kids, they just really like, that's who we spent most of our time with besides painting. 
and getting fed, but um, they just really touched my heart. I know they touched a bunch of theirs too. And my life will forever be changed for going, and I hope that theirs was too. So it was my first mission trip too, and uh, just seeing how we got there, uh, seeing the church, just how down and just like just beat up and stuff it looked. Just like, man, this is gonna be a lot of work. Then seeing how, as the days went on, how it started looking better and a little better and better. And then when we left, seeing just how good it actually looked and how happy everybody was and the pastor and uh, seeing the kids get their little Bibles and their hats. And they're so all so happy. And I'll definitely be going back. Chad's looking at me and smiling. Give me the microphone last. And Chad's cringing because my stories sometimes get long, but I'll keep them brief. Uh, Two things that, uh, that I took from going on a mission trip, and it was my first one too, and I was excited. I'd always said that I wanted to go to Montana, I want to go to Montana, I want to go to Montana. I've said that all my life, and I was fortunate enough to go. Uh, but I also, me and Stacy Dyer, who many of y'all may know, I hope, uh, if not, you need to get to know him because he's a really good man. He had approached me early on uh, a year ago and said that this would be coming up and wanted me to get a group from our church to go. So uh, I was able to get uh, Lee and Linda, who done a lot of singing, Rachel, my daughter, of course, who I knew had a heart for those children, any children, as a matter of fact, but especially, especially underprivileged children. And then uh, myself and Levi Seabolt, who some of y'all may know him from high school. He's a mountain of a man. And might have even seen the pictures of him carrying me on his shoulders. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I got to thinking about what I would want to do. And I was like, you know what, I really just want to go and work with those children. I want to work with those children. I just, I just want to do something with the children alongside my daughter because I knew that's where her heart would be. And Stacy told me, he said, Michael, he said, I want you to help build a barbed wire fence. And the wind just went completely out of my sails. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, but I like to be outdoors. I work outdoors, as many of y'all may know. But uh, I was working on that fence. And as I got to working on that fence, I got to thinking about why the Lord put me where he put me. And I knew immediately that there was fences in my life that needed mending. And uh, that helped me to focus on some of those things as, as I moved through. We built about a mile of barbed wire fence, me and two guys one day and then Levi the next day. But, uh, but it helped me. It, it, it worked on me. I was worried about trying to help somebody else, but it really helped me. Probably more than I'd done any help for anybody else because I'm sure them fences are tore down because those cows are wild. And they have, no, they have no home, and they just go where they want to. But, uh, but then another thing, I, I'll, I'll stop with that. But another thing, on the way out there, y'all know the journey that we had uh, in the Atlanta airport that I'd never been in uh, because I'd never flown. Uh, when, we got th when we got there and we realized we'd missed our flight, uh, I took off with Rachel and ended up with these two girls and the rest that y'all know from y'all's church. And I thought, golly, bum. Very respectful young ladies, very easy to handle young ladies too. And that was a, a pleasure for me and we laughed and we had a good time. But then I also got to thinking, well, what are they gonna do when we get there? But I watched those little girls, and they're not little girls, they're young women, work hard for those people, uh, painting and scraping paint and, and then loving on those children. And that was impressive to me also. Good, good group of some of y'all, there may be daughters in here or, or whatever, but good group of young, young women that went and worked. Uh, and then one more thing, uh, we sat around at night, me and Carson, a couple other guys, 
uh, we was up late, 11, 12 o'clock, and, and I didn't really know Carson. Uh, I, I know his dad very well, and, uh, but I didn't really know Carson, but uh, uh, Carson's a special young man, uh, and y'all know that better than I do. And, uh, but uh, he had a lot of fun, put a big rock under Al's pillow one night, but, uh, but we sat around, and I'm not going to go into any depth about what we talked about, but we sat around and talked about things that uh, seen some grown men cry sitting around at midnight around a little table. Now, we laughed a lot, but we cried some too. And uh, I went on a mission trip, long story short, I went on a mission trip to help people, but it grew me way more than I'm sure that I touched any of those people out there. And I just thank God for the opportunity of letting me go. Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Okay, and I would just add, the only thing I would add to that is uh, kind of what uh, Juliana was saying about the seeing the church being the church. Um, I saw the church be the church in not, geez, not just these folks, but our whole team. It was just neat to see uh, from five different churches, we went out there and, and we just, everybody found their place. I mean, it was, it was, I've been on a lot of mission trips. And as far as the team and how God worked in the team and how he put us where he needed us and everybody was content to serve where they landed, it was just beautiful. I've never seen anything like it in, in all the times I've gone. And, and, uh, of, of our 11, six of them were teenagers, and you've already heard testimony, but I just want to say it publicly, uh, especially to any parents here, those that went with us, I tell you, it was a joy. I've never seen a, a more respectful bunch of teenagers, uh, servant-hearted. They were doing things they didn't necessarily know they were going to be doing. Uh, they went through, uh, uh, you know, quite a, quite a journey to get out there, um, never complained, just fell in. Um, and just served uh, with the heart of Christ. And so thank you all. And uh, the old folks did good too. But uh, anyway, we had a great time. And Al let me hang out in the kitchen with him and Kyle. And uh, I got to avoid painting also and just had a great time serving. And we praise the Lord for the opportunity. Continue to pray for Keithan uh, and also the Blackfoot Nation, uh, Glacier View Baptist Church and Star Baptist Church uh, as you pray. We appreciate your prayers for them. Father, we do praise you for the opportunity to know you and to make you known in the world. Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, we had in Montana. We pray, Father, even now for uh, our sister churches at Star Baptist and Glacier View Baptist. We pray, Father, for the Blackfoot Nation and ask, God, that you would continue to work and advance the gospel through those that serve there. Pastor Marty and um, his, his wife, De Deanna, Lord, we pray for them and thank you for them and pray that you would strengthen them even, even today and use them. We lift up Keithan and pray, God, that you would bring him to Christ uh, even today. Lord, we also pray this morning for so many uh, on our prayer list that we've been praying for, uh, many of whom are sick. We pray, Lord, for Angie Callahan and Joseph Johnson. Today, Father, we continue to lift up the family of Marlene McCarthy and the family of Gail May as they grieve. We pray for Melanie Ballou and Lana Weberg and Kathy Abernathy and Randy Piper, Denise Key, Kathy Rickert, Teresa Putnam. Uh, Lord, especially we lift up Pam Aldridge in very difficult days. We pray for Helen Pinson and Eulen Cochran and Belle McDaniel, Tommy Duckett and Teddy Milton. Thank you that David MacArthur is back with us. We can pray for his continued healing after surgery. For Michael Reed, for Arveline Wallace, who will get some news tomorrow concerning... Uh, a possible cancer diagnosis. We pray for Donna Vorpal as she heals from surgery. We 
continue to lift up Holly Chastain and thank you for answered prayer in her life. We pray for Bill Emery that you would continue to work there and uh, get him back into back to health. And God, this morning we also pray for uh, Joe Frady and uh, just ask that you give doctors wisdom and uh, be with them as uh, they work on, work on Joe today. Father, thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you that uh, each one is here, not by accident, but by divine appointment. Father, those joining us by live stream, we pray that you would speak to each of our hearts uh, and that you would meet us right where we are and that we would not go away from this place today unchanged by your grace and power, by the power of your spirit and the, and the truth of the gospel. For Lord, you are worthy of our life's worship. And so we give that to you right now. We just lay ourselves down at your feet. Lord, we, we pray that Christ would be exalted even now as we sing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship in song. We're glad you joined this morning. And uh, I'm going to do my favorite song this week, Chad. We have one every week. Your grace is enough and it, it truly is.
Lord Jesus, we praise you that indeed your wounds have paid our ransom in full. It is finished. Because of our sins, you went to the tree and there you bore in your own body all of our sins and you bore the wrath of God in all of its fullness in our place. You were buried and on the third day you rose again in victory. And now you give grace to sinners. You declare as righteous as Jesus is those who will trust him. You give a certain eternity in your presence to those who rest their souls in Jesus. And Lord, truly, for eternity and every day, your grace is enough. And I thank you, Father, that having received your grace, you continue to give grace. May we seek it. May we cry out for your grace every day in every situation. We need you to be our teacher. We need you by your spirit and through your word to change us today. And so we ask you to come. We ask you to work in our hearts. We just want to be still before you. We want to listen for your voice. We want to hear your word. We want to be changed because you are worthy of all that we are. So we wait on you now, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn within your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. And as you're turning there, we'll dismiss the children's church, I believe. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 in just a few moments. You've probably heard this statement a lot. It's not what you know, but who you know. Now, a lot of times when we hear that, somebody else who knew somebody got the job we were after, right? Somebody else that wasn't us made the team because they knew somebody. Whatever it may be, sometimes we use that in that kind of a negative context when we've been left out, but... You know, the reality is, it's a true statement, especially if you're the one who knows somebody, right? It's not what you know, but who you know. Now, again, it can be a double-edged sword, but what a wonderful thing it is when it works for us. Let's cut to the chase this morning. We all need help all the time. Can we agree on that? Everybody good with that? We all need help all the time. I love that song we sing when we sing uh, to the Lord and we, we, we sing, Lord, I need thee every hour I need thee. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize that. Um, I just realize more and more how much I need him always. All of us are in need, says Pastor Sam Storms. All of us face situations with other people that stretch our wisdom to the limit. All of us encounter struggles and obstacles and roadblocks and landmines in this life that we simply don't know how to navigate. All of us find ourselves in relational circumstances with other people that anger us, frustrate us, leave us feeling alone and wounded. 
All of us hurt physically. Some live with crippling doubt. Others are paralyzed by anxiety. A few here even today might live in fear of the future while some others may be struggling with regrets for the past. It really doesn't matter what your biggest problem is today. It doesn't matter whether it's similar to that of the person sitting next to you or if yours is altogether different and unique. It doesn't matter if it's of a recent origin or if you've been saddled with this issue for years. It doesn't matter if you ran smack dab into it 30 minutes before you got here this morning. The only thing that matters is that you have great need and you know it and that you turn to the only person in place where genuine, life-changing help can be found. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about this morning. We continue our studies through the book of Hebrews. We've said that the book of Hebrews can be summed up with this simple exhortation. Don't forget who Jesus is. The believers to whom it was written were beginning to forget all that Jesus had done, and they were beginning to return to a man-made religion, to, to, to a man-shaped religion, and, and, and they were beginning to go back to a, a, a religion of performance and works and, and self-righteousness. Our text for this morning is an exhortation and an invitation to boldly ask Jesus for perfect help. That's the title of this morning's message, and that's the challenge of the message. Boldly ask Jesus for perfect help help. The take home from Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16 is this, in every need we can boldly ask Jesus, our sympathetic and able Savior, for the help that only He can give. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. These three verses teach us again that in every need we can boldly ask Jesus, our sympathetic and able Savior, for the help that only He can give. So let's break this passage down and spend a few minutes just soaking our hearts in the goodness of our Savior. Notice with me, first of all, in verses 14 and 15, who we know. It's all about who you know. Amen. Who do we know as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 14, since then, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Who we know. This, these, this, these two verses describe who it is that we know as our Lord and Savior. And these verses tell us that we know Jesus as our great high priest. We know in knowing Jesus a great high priest. Now the, early high, the earthly high priests 
who served in the, the, the Old Testament temple there in Jerusalem, who once a year entered the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice of atonement by pouring blood on the mercy seat, they were never called great. Why? Because every one of those earthly priests had to atone for their own sin. Part of what they did when they went behind the veil into the Holy of Holies was atone for their own sin first, and then, Scripture says, for the sins of the people. And their sacrifices were just temporary. It wasn't a once-for-all, eternal price for sin that was paid. It was an annual thing. Every year they had to go in and offer sacrifice for sin. You see, Jesus is the only great high priest because he alone, as the text says, is the Son of God. By the way, that's the first time the, the phrase the Son of God is used in the book of Hebrews. You, you see, Jesus is not just a servant of God like all the other priests that had come before him in Israel. He is the Son of God. And so he's the only great high priest. He's also the only great high priest because as Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12 tell us that when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered, hear me, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the, of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Not only is he a great high priest, the great high priest because he's the son of God, but he's the great high priest because of who he was and the, the offering, the sacrifice that he offered and where he offered it. He didn't go into the earthly temple. He went into the heavenly temple. Uh, the scriptures teach us what was built in Jerusalem was just a copy of the things in heaven, Right? Just a shadow of what the real thing, the real living presence of God was. And it's there that Jesus went to offer his sacrifice. And notice it was a once for all sacrifice. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but by means of his own blood, by, by the death, hear me, of the Son of God. The required and necessary sacrifice if sin was going to be dealt with fully and forever. And Jesus made it. He was qualified to make it. And thus he secured an eternal redemption by means of his own precious blood. Jesus' sacrifice was the final sacrifice for sin because it was the perfect and only eternally satisfactory sacrifice. That's why we read in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When does somebody sit down? They sit down when their work's done. And that's the picture of Jesus here in this verse. After making purifications for, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. And therefore, he is the great high priest whom we know. Moreover, we know a sympathetic high priest, according to verse 15. He told us who he, the authors told us who Jesus was in verse 14. And in verse 15, he starts by telling us who he's not. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one 
who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus understands all that we'll ever face. Maybe you didn't hear me. Jesus understands all that we'll ever face. This is the kind of high priest you have. Great high priest. This is why he's great. Does that not comfort your heart? To know that your Savior is not just a great Savior, but he's a sympathetic high priest. He knows where you live. He understands how you live and what you deal with. He, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The text means here that Jesus faced every kind of temptation we face. You know, basically, every temptation falls into one of three categories taken from 1 John 2. It's either the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, and Jesus experienced them all. He has been tempted in all the same ways that we are, yet without sin. But unlike us, Jesus defeated the devil in those three areas. Where we failed, he succeeded. Where we gave in to the temptation, he stood strong. Where we collapsed under pressure, Jesus obeyed the Father. He was tempted, yet he never sinned by giving in. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, comments on, on this whole discussion of, the, of, of this particular passage, actually. And he says, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down before it. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life because they always give in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Don't think Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus understands what you're feeling better than you understand what you're feeling in, in the moment of temptation because he, unlike us, has always perfectly obeyed, went through all the, all the way through the power of temptation and yet did not sin. He understands what you feel. You know, we've heard hints of this kind of thing before, haven't we? Back in chapter 2 of Hebrews, verses 17 and 18, the text there says... Speaking of Jesus, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus understands because he was made like us in every respect. He shared in our flesh. God became man. The Son of God became the Son of Man. We don't understand how that works, but at the very same time, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He lived in our flesh. He knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to be tempted. And so today, you and I know. Who is it we know? We know 
a merciful, the merciful, faithful, sympathetic, great high priest from heaven, even Jesus, the Son of God. No temptation we face is a surprise or a shock to Jesus. We know the merciful, faithful, sympathetic, great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. But secondly, this morning, we also know not only who, it's not only about who we know, but it's about what, what, what Jesus can, hear me, what Jesus can and desires to give us. Verse 16. Because of who Jesus is, verse 16 turns and says, let us then, because of verses 14 and 15, there's something we need to do. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What Jesus can and desires to give us. Jesus, remember, remember where he's at? Anybody, everybody know where he's at? Where's he at? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. His work is complete. And he's seated, according to this passage, on the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Get the picture. Jesus is enthroned with the desire and purpose of giving mercy and grace, help to those for whom he died and rose again. When Jesus sat down, his work wasn't just done, completed, the, the, the atonement wasn't just made. He, he sat down to, from that throne, dispense grace to those who would come and trust in him. He sits on a throne of grace. This is important for you to understand. It's important for you to get this picture in your, in, in your, in your, in your mind's eye and in the, with, see it with the eyes of your heart. Jesus is sitting on a throne of grace. When you go to Jesus, you're not going to the principal's office. But some of us act like that's the deal. We act like when we pray, that's who we're talking to. And you know what? That's why you don't pray as much as you know you should. Because you think you're talking to the principal. You think he's sitting up there with a ruler ready to smack you on the back of the hand. He sits on a throne of grace. He's ready to give more of that grace that you so desperately needed at the moment of your salvation. He's ready to give more of it today to cleanse you from that sin you just committed, to empower you for that obedience that you desire by the power of his spirit. You're, going, you're not going, maybe sometimes we think in this image, when you go to Jesus, you're not going to the judge's bench either. You know what? Judgment's already been passed on my sin and yours, all of it. The sentence was pronounced guilty and death. And it was executed on my behalf through the death of Jesus Christ. And because that was the case, I'm pardoned. I'm set free from the condemnation. Don't miss this. I'm declared as righteous as Jesus is. That's what the Father does in our salvation. When you go to Jesus, you go to your Savior's throne of grace. Let me just ask you a question. Do you need mercy today? 
Do you need Jesus to not give you what you deserve? I do. Do you need grace today? Do you need Jesus to give you power that you don't have? Power that's only His but can be yours through the work of His Spirit who lives in you. Do you need that? We sang it earlier, Joe. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12, he asked Jesus to take away that thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was an ongoing irritant in his life, something he wished he could get rid of. God, take it away. He asked him three times. Jesus answered and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we come to Jesus, we come to his throne of grace, and he wants to give us grace. He wants to give us mercy to help in our need. The problem is sometimes we don't come because we're not weak enough to come. We're too busy trying to be strong in our own selves. We're we're too busy trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're too busy trying to do it on our own when Jesus said, I'm on a throne of grace All you have to do is ask, and I want to give you what you don't have. All you have to do is admit your weakness and your need. And in that moment, in that place, that's where my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you need help today? There is only one place you can get it. The throne of grace. It is not deserved help. Can we deal with that right quick? When you come to Jesus for help, it's not, I mean, understand, he delights to give it to you, not because you deserve it. He doesn't give it to you because you've been a good boy or a good girl. He gives it to, to you in spite of who you are and what you've done. Remember this thing called salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus, amen? Same still true for us as kids every day. His, his continuing future grace that he extends to, extends to us, it's not on the basis of us. Somehow we get it twisted in our minds as Christians. We think that after we've walked with the Lord somehow, uh, for a while somehow, uh, that, that suddenly, I mean, uh, and it's just our own fallen nature, we begin to think that somehow how I'm doing with God depends on me. It doesn't depend on you. It never depends on you. It will never depend on you. When you've had a bad day spiritually, listen to what I'm fixing to say, this is the truth of the gospel. You are no farther away from God. You were no less accepted and loved and embraced and righteous before holy God in Jesus Christ than you are when you have a stellar day and have your quiet time and witness to three people. It's not about what you do. Because see, the problem is those days I have my quiet time and and witness to three people, sometime by the end of the day I'm going to be proud of what I did. And I'm going to just subtly in my heart, never would say it this way, but I'm just going to be thinking to myself, Jesus, I bet you're proud of me today, aren't you? And you know what I just did? I just tainted the whole deal. He uses, uses that anyway, praise the Lord. But with my self-righteousness, I just taint every, even the good things that I might be empowered by His Spirit to do. It's not deserved help. That's why the text says to receive mercy. It's the help Jesus purchased in his death and through his resurrection. It's God's all-powerful, sin-conquering, death-defying power that's available to help you. That last phrase in this verse literally means at the right moment. In time of need, at the right moment. 
Have you ever noticed God's answers are always perfectly timed? I don't mean you like the timing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but they're always perfectly timed. We, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just saying, I, I want him to help me way before the problem or early in the problem, right? Like, I don't, want, I don't, like, I don't like the struggle. I don't like the pain. I don't like the whatever. And I want him to fix everything up here, but you know when he helps? He helps right when I'll grow closer to him the most. It's perfectly timed. Not too soon, not too late. And oftentimes it is just in the nick of time, Amen. We know what Jesus can do and desires to give us mercy and grace to help at just the right moment. That just leaves one thing here to bring it all together and for us to get help. We know who we know. We know what he wants to give us. So how do we get it? You ready? Number three from verse 16, how we get Jesus' help. Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All we have to do is ask. Do you understand that my problem, the reason I'm not more victorious over sin... The reason I'm not a more faithful witness for Jesus in the lives of those that I meet on a weekly basis, it's that I just don't ask. Because he sits on a throne of grace as your great high priest who's sympathetic. He knows right where you're at. He's listening. He's waiting. He's ready. He's full of mercy and grace to help you. And all I have to do is ask. And get this, we can ask boldly. He says, let us then with confidence draw near. Some of your translations may even say, boldly draw near. How is it that we can ask with confidence? How is it that... We are, in fact, to boldly ask. And, and, and is that really that important? Yes. Anything God puts in the book is important. Every word. Do you understand, if I don't ask, you know what I'm saying about God? I'm, I'm, I'm making a faith declaration without words by my actions. I'm saying I don't believe he's really good and that he really wants me to have that mercy and grace that I need for this moment. I'm saying I, I don't believe he really understands. I don't believe he is, he is who he says he is. I don't believe he wants to do what he says he wants to do. I'm questioning the goodness and grace of God when I don't pray. And furthermore, if I don't come boldly, I don't believe Jesus has perfectly made a way for me to come and talk to my daddy. Abba, Father. Don't miss this. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. We don't need to be shy. We don't 
have to shrink in shame. We should certainly be convicted over our sin, but we should run as soon as we sin to the throne of grace. Jesus knows our sin. Jesus knows our weaknesses. Jesus knows our need. I want to commend to you a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and it underscores this truth. Jesus delights to give grace to sinners. As Christians, we don't believe that sometimes. Because we ought to know better, and we should, we act like he is from heaven saying, now you should know better, Frank. And because we think that's how he's thinking about us, we stay away. We don't draw near. We sure don't draw near boldly, with confidence. You know what the Father's saying when Frank does that again? Sorry, Frank. I knew I can pick on Frank and it'd be okay. When Frank does that thing again, you know what the Father's posture is? It's not Frank, you, you knew better. Son, you knew better. See, that's, that's how we parent, so we think that's how God parents. You know what? You know what God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are, 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 are thinking toward Frank? They're thinking this passage toward Frank. Uh, they're, 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 they're saying, Frank, draw near with confidence to ask for grace to help in time of need. Jesus is saying, I am on, Frank, I, am, I saw what happened. I am on the throne of grace. I am here and I want to give you. I died so that I could sit here and give you the grace that you need in this moment. To extend the mercy that you, to give you the help that you need. Maybe it's not sin, whatever it is. Whatever the struggle you're going through this morning. That's why he sits on the throne of grace. He's ready to give us just what we need when we ask. He wants to help us. You know, a few years ago, my son Nate and I went to a George Strait concert. Don't judge. <clears throat> we got to go see the king. I grew up on George Strait. Actually, Eric Church was there. Really don't judge. That was what my son grew up on. We got to see the king and the chief all in one concert at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Nate got the tickets from his wife Adair's at the time boss, <laughs> and they were prime. We parked in this special parking lot <laughs> that was right by the door. We went in a door that unless you've got some of these same tickets, you ain't never been in. Us commoners don't normally go through this door. It goes into places you don't get to go. And that pathway took us to box seats that we could have never afforded where we ate whatever we wanted at no cost to us as we sat in the best seats in the house and it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> had nothing to do with Nate. It had everything to do with the boss, and the tickets we had. Now, we could have said, and we didn't, we don't deserve these tickets. <laughs> more, even more true, we could have said, you know, we can't, uh, thank you, sir, but we, I mean, we can't afford these tickets. So we'll just park two miles away and walk for 30 minutes so that we can sit up way high in the nosebleed section and where you can barely see anything. And, and, and then we'll just have a, a hot dog from the concession stand. 
holding the tickets in our hand, we could have said all of the above and done that. But how dumb would that have been? <laughs> how dumb would that have been? Not nearly as dumb and foolish as when you and I refuse to boldly approach Jesus' throne of grace and boldly ask Him for mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Not nearly as dumb. And yet that is how we all too often think and choose to live in desperate times and situations, especially in moments of temptation to sin. Our Father, remember we're His children, wants us to come confidently to Jesus who loves us and died and rose for our salvation and boldly ask for help that He, listen to me, help that He will give in every need. We can boldly ask Jesus, our sympathetic and able Savior, for the help only He can give. Will we believe the goodness of our Savior, the readiness of our great and sympathetic high priest to help us and boldly ask Him for help in prayer? Will we? It's up to us. The Lord's Supper is a way that God's given us to tangibly remind ourselves of who we know and what He has, has done that we desperately need, what He wants to give that we desperately need, how He has once and for all met our greatest need and stands risen and ready to answer our prayer cries for mercy and grace to help us with every daily need no matter what you're facing. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward at this time. Just need about six of y'all to head to the front and prepare to serve the Lord's table. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's here that we feast our hearts afresh on the all-sufficient grace of God. It's here that that we again come back to that throne of grace and acknowledge we need help and only Jesus can help. Only Jesus can help. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 gives us this warning. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Just in short, Paul is saying here that if you just go through the motions of this, if you come to the table depending on yourself, if you come without faith in Christ, if you just do it, because it's what you do in church, what is intended to be a time of communion and blessing and, and encouragement and strength for your soul becomes a time of judgment because you ignore the power, the glory of the cross. And so let's examine our hearts together. Father, search us right now by your Spirit. We want to come in a way that shows the worth of what you've done for us in Jesus. We'll never be worthy, but we can come in a way that honors your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. In a way that honors the fact that you are risen and reigning today. In a way that even honors, as we've talked about this morning, your goodness and your desire to give grace to us. 
So, Father, may we come right now before you. May we turn from any idols of our hearts. And may we come in faith believing, trusting in Christ and in Christ alone, even as we sang earlier. And may we come boldly to your throne of grace, believing your truthfulness in the gospel. Ready to receive what you're ready to give, and that is grace and help. Meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11 to say that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time we celebrate the Lord's table, we do it about once a month here. Every time we celebrate the Lord's table, we are preaching in a visual way the gospel that Jesus' death and resurrection saves. We are saying by our eating and our drinking, that is the body and blood of Jesus broken for us on the cross, risen from the dead on the third day. It is he and he alone that is sufficient to nourish our souls eternally and give us everlasting life. That's what we're saying to one another. We're reminding ourselves. We're saying it to any in the room who don't believe, don't trust Jesus today. That's the message you're hearing from us today. And we're freshly confessing our need of that grace. This morning, as you come to the table, will you, even as we've talked about, will you boldly come with confidence in the goodness of God to the throne of grace and find mercy to help in time of need. Will you do that today? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus. This table's for believers only, but, but, but right where you are, would you come to him? The eating and drinking doesn't save us. It's, an, it's a picture. It's an outward symbol of what happens in our hearts. And so right where you are, if you don't know him today, will you trust him? Will you feast your soul on Christ? Don't go home without the grace that we've been talking about today. So I invite you to come to the table. We can just start from all over the room. Just make your way up to the deacons and, and serve yourself. As you're coming, you can go ahead and start coming. Trey, you just lead the way. If you're visiting with us and a believer and you want to partake today and you've never seen one of these little deals, there's two layers. Get the clear layer first or you'll get the grape juice in your lap. First layer is the clear layer gets the bread out, then the juice. And so uh, come to the table, feast on Christ today. What?
thank you, worship team and church. Just continue prayerfully as the worship team celebrates God's grace in Christ. We should sing that song every day, amen? How can it be? But don't let your amazement keep you from running every day with confidence to the throne of grace. Find grace to help in time of need. Amen and amen.